turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Hebrews 10, 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another to revoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. Father, it is a blessing to return to this text of Scripture that we have come to understand as uniquely the offering of three exhortations based upon the truth of what Jesus did and what Jesus does. And because of our ever-living Savior, we indeed can hear with our ears, understand in our minds, and poise our hearts to obey this idea, these exhortations of drawing near to you, of holding fast, firmly to our hope, and being considerate one for another as the family of God. Help us then today as we break those concepts down a little bit more for the benefit of our understanding and embrace May thy blessed spirit who ministers to us take the word of God deeply within our souls for our sanctification and strength. We pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. This is the passage that guarantees access to God 24-7 every time. Constant access to God. I'm supposed to be able to open my iPhone with my fingerprint. I guarantee you my fingerprint did not change. But I spent the better part of a day pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing, pressing, trying to get that goofy man-made device to work the way it's supposed to work. I got so tired of access denied, access denied, access denied, access denied. Isn't it good that you don't have to have your fingerprint? (laughs) in order to get to God. But there is a name that you must come in name to use that guarantees your access every time, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus. Every child of God has access before the actual presence of God the Father because of what the God the Son become man did. Verse 20 and does, verse 21. 
Last time we characterized the ministry of Christ done or the ministry of Christ complete under the title trailblazer. Christ has made a new and living way right into the heavenly throne room accessible to us. Verse 20, by his own blood. Christ the trailblazer. Then from verse 21, we spoke of Christ as the heavenly house ruler or head over God's family and his ongoing ministry as our great high priest in heaven. On the basis of what Christ did, verse 20, and on the basis of what Christ does, verse 21, three exhortations are raised in logical sequence and order. Let us draw near closely, verse 22. Let us hold fast firmly, verse 23. And let us consider one another rightly, verse 24-25. It is important to note that these three exhortations to Christians are to become the exhortation of Christians one to another. That's the point of verse 25. These three exhortations to Christians, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. These three exhortations to Christians are to become the exhortation of Christians to one another. What I am saying to you today, you are to say to each other. What I am saying uh, to you today, you are to say to me. These exhortations are not only for us. These exhortations are for us to say one to another. Again, verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting. Exhorting what? Well, the exhortations that are here in this text. There are three of them. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. You should hear these three things from me as your pastor. Draw near closely to God. Hold fast firmly your faith. Consider one another rightly. You should hear these things, uh, these three things from Sherry. She should be saying to you, draw near closely, hold fast firmly, consider one another rightly. You should be hearing these things from one another. Yep, yep, yep. Draw close to God. Uh, hold fast firmly to your faith. Uh, consider one another rightly. You should hear these three things back and forth and up and down from the lips of us all. This is to be the message of all believers to all believers. This is body talk. Not talk about your body. Plenty of that in Western Michigan. This is talk about Christ's body, talking to the body, and having an impact upon other people as it relates to the normalization of their faith and walk in Christ. Now, before we get totally immersed in the practical applications of all this today, I'd like us to remember uh, the unique moment in time in which this communication was written to first century Jewish Christians. And, uh, and this communication was written, as you recall, 
based upon a particular sense of challenge to them regarding their faith in the Lord at a given point in time. Common Christian wisdom and Bible knowledge allows us to take the familiar phrase of verse 25, as ye see the day approaching, and make glorious reference to the return of Christ in power and glory. Again, verse 25. Don't forsake, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Here you are in obedience. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Boy, do we know that, don't we now? But exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. It is right for us in 2022 to take the phrase, the day approaching, in direct reference to the return of Jesus Christ. But, when you look at the history of the moment in which the book of Hebrews was originally written, it becomes clear that many in the original audience would have had a completely different thought and then that thought. A completely different thought and then that thought. These Jewish believers knew that the Lord Jesus had predicted the fall of Jerusalem to the Gentiles, Matthew 24. And they could see in the late 60s A.D., when this letter was written, the escalation of hostilities with the Roman Empire that would, in fact, soon thereafter cause the historical reality of the Roman ruler Titus ransacking Jerusalem and destroying the temple in 70 A.D. It would not surprise me if some of the Jewish believers first receiving this spirit-driven communication, would naturally think of the day approaching as the fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem as was forecast by the lips of our Lord and then the promise, his promise, to return in power and glory. We tend to jump right to the thought of the day approaching as the day of Christ's return, exactly as we ought because we are believers living in 2022. Now, when the commentators deal with this particular tension between original audience and the audience of the First Baptist Church of Elto on Sunday morning, December 18, 2022, uh, they like to say, uh, nope, this is, this is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay. And other commentaries like to say, oh, it's talking about the coming of the Lord, it's talking about the coming of the Lord, coming talking about the coming of the Lord. Okay. Uh, but I personally see no good reason why we should not take reference as both things on the heavenly calendar as revealed in that day to those 
Jewish Christians early on as to what would they have in their minds? The destruction of Jerusalem and the coming of the Lord. And what will we have in our minds? The coming of the Lord. I don't see a problem with just saying everything that we can say about the text clearly based upon the people that would hear it. What Jesus predicted about Jerusalem, we of course know historically became real in 70 A.D. And what Jesus promised all believers will likewise soon become very real to believers. Well, that's my brief little trek into the world of academia. I usually don't like it any, anymore to go that way, but, but I wanted to at least acknowledge that. Now let's get back to the practical. In light of what Christ did, in light of what Christ does, and in response to Christ as the heavenly trailblazer and the head of God's house, let us, verse 22, let us draw near to God as we are clearly enabled to now do. Because of Jesus Christ, we can draw near to God, and surely we do want to draw near to God. But as we approach God in fellowship, in worship, and in prayer, there are some things we ought to pay attention to, as are indicated in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Four phrases in verse 22 define and qualify our drawing near to God. Number one, we must approach God with sincerity of heart. We must approach God with a true heart as is seen in our text. The simple regulation forbids approaching God in an unprepared fashion. Hebrews 10.22 forbids my coming to this gathering of the Lord's church in Elto unprepared. Hebrews 10.22 forbids you coming to the gathering of the First Baptist Church of Elto unprepared. It requires of us a true heart that forbids approaching God unprepared. Furthermore, it forbids approaching God hypocritically. I don't want to be here. I want to be someplace else, but I'm here. I'm just here. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Uh, you might as well not be here. The hypocrite gets no relief from God as to the honor of his name uh, by such a participation. And of course, it also would forbid what we see in the high church, namely ritualistic embrace of God. Go through the motions, do your genuflexing, do your bowing and your curtsying, make sure you cross yourself, say a little prayer, count a little bead, go home happy because you did your God thing. None of that! None of that, none of that. Why? The Bible says, let us draw near with a true heart. 
I won't belabor the point. That's number one. Number two, we must approach God with the full assurance of faith. This means that we approach God with a settled sense of confidence and understanding of Jesus Christ as the trailblazer and the house ruler who is over us. We must approach God with a full assurance of our faith in Christ. Number two, number three, we must approach God with hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now, we dealt specifically with that metaphor previously. This metaphor here draws upon the former logic that contrasted the Old Testament law with the New Testament Lord when we were told that only in the Lord Jesus can a worshiper actually be and judicially be clean before God. Only by the blood of Christ can a person actually be clean before God. And the fourth thing here, which is related to the third thing, we must approach God as those that are practically clean in addition to our judicial cleaning. We are saved, but we must ever be attentive to our sanctification. The metaphor, and our bodies washed with pure water, is not speaking about a bath or a shower before public service times, although I would be inclined to personally demand that of, of you and would understand if you did of me. Most churches at some point in time have somebody in their midst that is rather stinky. They're the particular, maybe even church member, that is hard to love because they're, they're just kind of stinky. In my boyhood days as a young boy, I used to avoid certain pews at the South Baptist Church in Bay City because that's where Stinky sat. I never called them Stinky to their face, but I certainly thought that. But they were Stinky. And I wish there was a verse in the Bible that said, you know, that cleanliness was next to godliness because it would have sure helped them a lot. But, of course, there is no Bible verse exactly like that. But nonetheless, this is not talking about a bath. This is not talking about deodorant. This is the language that is coming right out of the many purification rites and ceremonies under the law and is being used to make a point about our lives in the Lord. And that point is that the water of the word not only regenerates and establishes the judicial cleanness of a believer before God right here and right now, but the water of the word renews the believer. And these two aspects of cleansing are herein referenced. God is satisfied in the death of Christ for our sins. And we are judicially forever clean. And the cleansing action of the Holy Spirit, which began as salvation, continues by the fresh application of God's word. So that we can approach God with absolute confidence. What is this saying? Very simple thing. When, you, when you're getting ready to, to come together for the gathering of the church, when you're coming together uh, uh, for lunch with some other believer, uh, you ought to particularly pay attention to the aspect of reminding yourself that you are God's child. I'm saved. I'm your child. And number two, you ought to pay attention to your cleanliness. You ought to seek to be clean before the Lord before you come, before you gather. 
before you meet for lunch. So that both elements of cleanliness, the judicial, the positional, and the practical, or the ongoing, are attended to before you seek to have a sense of engagement in exhortation to others. I'm very conscious of that necessity in my own life, and I've told you many times before, but for years and years and years, I used to have a big wooden plaque in my office that was made for me by my brother that said, it takes a prepared man to preach a prepared message. And that is the simple reality that just because I've I parsed every Greek verb and because I have a, a good and memorable outline and because I have worked to, to put all the co uh, components together in such a way so as to articulate the truths of God uh, with clarity in a given moment of time as appointed, doesn't mean I'm ready. That the readiness of my soul requires that I pay attention to my cleanliness before God. For this moment. And this passage would give indication that that which is understood widely as the preacher's work on Sunday really is also the work of the congregation on Sunday. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Wow. Wow. In the light of what Christ did, and in the light of what Christ does, and in response to Christ, the trailblazer and the head of house, number two, let us hold fast our profession or confession of our faith in Christ without wavering. Verse 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. The first thing to note here is that our holding fast is not founded and grounded upon our faithfulness to God, but his faithfulness to us. This is big. This is really big. Our sense of grasp, our sense of hold on, our sense of hold fast or hold firm relative to our faith in Christ without wavering is not ultimately grounded and founded in our performance, in our faithfulness to God, but God's faithfulness to us. God is ever faithful. Since God is ever faithful, you and I can keep and maintain our hope, expectation in Christ. Now, when I look at verse uh, 23 in the Greek text, the first thing that I see that is a little bit unusual is that the word faith in verse 23 let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I see that the word faith in the Greek text is that which is otherwise most often translated hope, meaning our settled expectation of faith in Christ. 
uh, uh, you and I are to uh, hold, we're to grasp firmly our confession of hope and expectation that is connected to our faith in Christ. And then we have the word wavering, which literally means no leaning, no leaning, or tilt away. Now, we all know what it is to lean. Uh, this past week, I, I got involved in the, in the uh, domestic duty of raising the arms on the walker that is in my home for our relative uh, because the fact is that the doctor was very precise that the walker is not to be leaned upon. The weight of the individual is not to rest upon the walker, but the walker is just simply to be used as a balance point. And so the instructions for an old person are, stand up straight. Don't lean on the walker. Move your feet and just guide the walker before you. That's the best way to do it. No leaning. No leaning. No leaning. In this case, uh, it would be your hope in the Lord that's leaning, <laughs> that's resting on something uh, that uh, would be inappropriate. And, and then the other sense of the word wavering has the idea of tilt, as in tilt or lean away or turn and there is something you've experienced and I've experienced in life that is very uh, 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 picturesque concerning that tilt. And that is, you know how a child, a particularly a young child, like a two-year-old or a three-year-old, uh, you call their name and they, instead of instinctively turning towards you, they, in, they turn right away from you. Uh, they tilt away. And if you give them an inch, they'll be running. And so you know how there's that, it's called the cold shoulder, you know. You speak to a child, and they turn, and they don't turn towards you. They don't turn towards you, they turn away from you. They, they hear the call, and they tilt away. They tilt away. They tilt away. Don't let your hope in Christ tilt. That's what it's saying. Don't let your hope in Christ tilt. Don't let it, don't let it, don't let it. Don't let it tilt. Rather, trust and lovingly obey. Meekness. Oh, yeah. That was the last time. So you have here the first admonition, draw near to God. I believe that's not only the first admonition in the sequence of the text, I believe that it is the first admonition that must be attended to before you can even go on with number two or number three. The first thing every child of God needs to do is activate themselves to draw near to God. Day after day after day after day after day. The next thing you and I need to do is we need to hold firmly to the confession of our hope in Christ. Hold firmly to our hope in Christ. Not let go in any sense of the word our expectation in the Lord. And now number three. In the light of what Christ did and does, and in response to Christ the trailblazer and the head of house, God's house, let us consider one another to provoke. Now the verse stop there, I would say there are a lot 
of obedient believers, <laughs> provoking each other. But this is not talking about sibling provocation. Consideration is indeed a mental thing. Provocation in this text is a verbal thing. And in fact, that's the way it kind of plays out in sibling rivalry. Uh, consideration is a mental thing. And provocation is a verbal thing. Consideration is something that happens within you, in your mind, within your heart, towards a sibling. And provocation has to do with the words that you say to your sibling. Consideration is a mental thing. Provocation is a verbal thing. We are to give mind. We are to give attention, righteous attention, to one another's growth and steadfastness in the Lord. We are to give mind and attention to one another's growth and steadfastness in the Lord. Now I'm going to tell you something that has happened to every preacher and happens to every teacher, and that is you're studying God's word and you're mastering a text and you're working through the principles of uh, interpretation and then application, and all of a sudden you come to mind and you say, oh, this is such a great truth for so-and-so. I can't wait for the truth of God's word to be brought to so-and-so. They'll be so encouraged. They'll be so blessed. They'll be so strengthened. They'll be so challenged. And then, of course, you come to the preaching teaching moment, and so-and-so is not there. And it doesn't happen once or ten times. It happens again and again and again and again and again. The scripture is clear that we are to continually give our minds, our attentiveness to one another's growth and steadiness in Christ. Now here's the problem that I personally have over the many days of my public ministry. Ready? I feel like I often care more about the other person's walk with the Lord than they do. And therefore, I could become quite self-satisfied to just not let it bother me. To not just let it be something to which I have to give my attention to. After all, they're not exactly cooperative. God doesn't give me that option. I have no right not to give righteous attention to other people's growth and steadiness in the Lord. It is my command and yours. We are commanded of God to pay attention to each other and to help each other to grow and develop in steadfastness of faith 
in the Lord. Believers are to resolve to thoughtfully and seriously pay attention to the spiritual walk of others within the family of God. And more than simple mindfulness, there is to be a verbal communication of truth unto fellowship. Reverence by the word love in our text, and service. Reverence by the word good works in our text. Again, look at that. Let us consider one another to provoke, again it isn't in there, to provoke unto love. What's the point of provoking, seeking to stir, seeking to stimulate, seeking to encourage, uh, uh, seeking to, to move other people in regards to uh, the love of Christ. Well, the whole point would be a greater experience of fellowship with the Lord and each other. And then to provoke unto love and good works. What's good works? Serving the Lord. That there would be a, a sense of mutuality of stirring, of uh, encouraging, of strengthening of others in regards to serving the Lord, represented by the words, good works. Our fellowship is defined by the truth and love of Christ. Our service is defined by the gospel of Christ. And you and I are to be constantly attentive to each other and verbally expressing one to another, uh, the aspect of, uh, of uh, uh, these elements of the love of Christ and the good works of service that relate to the gospel of Christ as the basis upon which we, together, move forward in pleasure before the Lord. The compound word provoke is very picturesque, meaning to sharpen beside. Or to sharpen with. Or to rub. So as to sharpen. Solomon said it. Iron. Sharpeneth iron. So a man sharpeneth. The countenance of his friend. The Lord Jesus calls us to be family and friends. The work of this family and friend rallies around the truth of Christ. And the way it's supposed to work in the context of a local church, as, a, as people are together, we might call it rubbing shoulders, as people are together in the context of public gathering and worship, that literally what takes place is, is that believers are sharpened, spiritually sharpened. And that concept of spiritual sharpening requires gathering. And it requires such spiritual uh, uh, reality of speaking truth one to another. In order for this sharpening to take place, there has to be gathering. In order for there to be sharpening to take place, there has to be truth spoken. And so, you know, here's the question of the modern era. Can that be done on the internet? Somebody say, well, you can do anything online, can you? 
you know, buy these goggles that they got, put you in a virtual world, and you can act like you're playing baseball when you couldn't even hit a pitch. You can act like you're a tennis star when you don't even know how where the net is. You could act like you're a, a fantastic believer when you're no believer at all. Our world's ability to call on real things real escalates hour by hour. We must not buy into that. Gathering is a command. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It's always been a problem. And it is a problem. Sharpening requires the rub of two things, one upon the other. You will surely miss out on the divine intended righteous rub if you do not gather with other believers. You will surely miss out on the righteous rub if you do not speak truth one to another. The word forsake in our text is interesting. It speaks of desertion and abandonment. Do not desert the local assembly of God's family, as surely some did and many do. We gather for spiritual health and well-being that cannot rightly be separated from one's overall health and living in this sin-stained world. That's why I wrote to the CEO of Spectrum Health, now called some other goofy name, but I wrote to her when we were trying to minister to David Bistrom in the hour of his difficulty, because I have never, until coming to this place, I have never been outside looking in as a pastor trying to minister to one of my people in a health setting until the last couple of years and the policies of Spectrum Health. They have no business telling this pastor how I minister to my people. I'm under command of God. That's what I told her. I also told her that if she does not recognize the spiritual dimension of a man's soul, that she doesn't know anything about actual health. I'm not just trying to be coy. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not just trying to stir the pot. I'm trying to establish something that you and I are being hoodwinked on day in and day out. And listen to me. Listen to me. It is only the man whose heart is right with God that is healthy. I don't care what the condition of his body. Oh, how I pray for your health. Oh, how you should pray for my health. Good health in God is possible for us all, even though some of us might limp. Is this the truth or am I telling the lie? I'm telling the truth. This is God's truth. Let's not forget it. So many of God's people today are like a dull knife. What do you do with it? Even if you throw it, it won't stick in the wall. <laughs> It's just a useless hunk of metal. People today, so often in their Christian faith, present themselves as practically useless, being neither sharp nor sharpening. Beloved, let us hone each other.
and so much the more as the day of promise approaches. Soon, I don't know how soon, but soon, Christ shall appear. He is the heavenly guarantee of every righteous expectation. And on that basis, I represent these exhortations to you, and you should now know that you have obligation from God to represent them to each other until the Lord comes. And faith is no more, and hope is no more, and love remains forever as eternal between God and his people. May Jesus Christ our Lord be praised. Father, thank